This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I'm Jack Pelzer, and I'm joined per usual by Dan Hodgman. Jack, how are you? You know, I've been better. I was just telling you about this. I've been uh, pretty run down the last couple days, so... uh... We'll see. Might go get uh, myself uh, tested tomorrow for that thing that's going around. Hopefully it's nothing like that. No, no, no. I hope not, too. But, uh, you know, what'll keep me positive through that is knowing that we have this interview with the founder and CIO of Halo Investing, Bijou Kulathakal, today, who uh, is in the same building as us over at Top Step, or was, back when we used to go into work. (laughs) Wait, what? Go into the office, huh? I know, right? It's so different. I've just been, you know, in my uh, second bedroom speaking on a microphone for the last seven, eight months. I know. I, I call it going to the office now. Like when I come downstairs into like my little home home office at the house, it's like my own little office in here. I don't leave this room other than to like go to the bathroom, grab some lunch. And I sit in here all day. It's like I'm actually at an office. It's kind of nice. Well, uh, starting with the uh, interview that we'll have next week uh, while we were recording it, uh, the volatility has kind of come back to the market now um, recently, and we've had at least uh, one trader at Top Step take advantage of it in a, a pretty spectacular way. Dan, you want to talk about this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's actually been really exciting. Over the last few days since this volatility has increased, everyone kind of saw these sell-offs in the equities. We started to see some traders take advantage of it. Um, one of my favorite traders, I'm not gonna, I won't say his name, but uh, I've gotten to know him over the years, Last week had a great day. He was up like eight or nine grand catching the shorts. Um, but then yesterday we had a funded trader trading bonds, day trading, not huge size, come out the gates and make $10,000 on one day. And there we go. That's a big number, right? We're talking 10 grand. Well, this morning we come in. He's up 10 grand. I think he was up 13500 in his account going into 5 o'clock last night. We came in this morning. He added another $38,000 to that account from 5 p.m. Central Time to 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m. Central Time, give or take. So in just a few hours, added another 38000 It puts him up close to $55,000 this week alone. That was shocking. Uh, that was not a number that, you know, you kind of... Occasionally, there's people that kind of change what you kind of consider can happen or something like that. And it always takes someone. I remember the same thing happened to me. We were just talking before. It doesn't matter what sort of trading you're doing. $38,000 in, uh, in a day is a, lot, is a lot of money, right? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's what like on an average day in the prop firm, like those are the numbers like the big dogs putting up. Those are huge astronomical numbers from a professional trader who's probably – been at this professionally for such a long time and to see this from like that retail day trading perspective i don't know for me it kind of gives you hopes and kind of like opens it up to what's possible well i don't know uh this individual like you do but it really you know when you see because previously if you looked at the site i think around 13 grand was the most someone in a funded account had made in a day and then for someone to go out and do three times that, it kind of shows 
well, we've talked about a few times on there where you got to just, you never know when things are going to end. So you need to strike when the iron's hot. Um, Absolutely. Really impressive. You know, you take advantage of these high volatile time. And this, I think what's awesome is, I mean, I don't know the exact number, but you think about like the median salary in the United States. It was able to basically do that in two days or more. And I think what's so amazing is we've talked about this, whether on the podcast, in the coach's playbook, all over the place. When it comes to making money in trading, it's not a twice a month paycheck. Like you're growing this account and you're going to have to pay yourself when you have that opportunity. Volatility was high, took advantage of some really big moves and was able to pay himself, is now going to be able to pay himself really, really well, live extremely comfortably, and continue to grow this account. I mean, yeah. it's, those are huge numbers. And uh, one of the trades he made is one of my all-time favorites uh, after that you know, other 4% down day or whatever on the NASDAQ. Those margin calls coming in the afternoon, and then people have to puke their positions. And when that starts rallying back, if it does, if it doesn't have that continuation on it, that is a move that I love. That is, that's not the catching the falling knife that we warn people against so often. Well, and we also kind of came down, uh, I think we got pretty darn close to the 50-day uh, moving average. And divergence was starting to set in, stuff we've talked about. And so it set up for a nice opportunity to take that chance to go long. And if anything, you're just looking to kind of see maybe it'll run back to settlement price a little bit. Something like that. And here we go. We're just continuing to extend this thing. The thing just keeps going higher. Um, it's really, really exciting to sit here and kind of watch someone be able to do this, especially someone that I'm just looking at now. Been with us since 2013 trading with us. So this is pretty cool to have someone that's been with us this long doing that. Yeah. Well, uh, today during the interview, we're going to talk a little bit about structured notes, which is a little bit of a different financial instrument, but I think that, uh, understanding as much as you can about the industry as a whole will do nothing but help you. You know, understand who your other players are and everywhere is, I think it's really fascinating. And Biju, obviously a very smart guy. I believe uh, he's got a background in like aerospace engineering or rocket science. Rocket science. Um, was with Redbox, helped launch that. Uh, was an options trader. Just yeah, a little bit yeah. of everything. And he, he's one of those, he talks about his option strategies and stuff like that. He is a very, uh, you know, in sort of the algo world, right? I mean, he's uh, right. quant. Which, a quant. You know, Dan and I, eh, you know, I don't have the sort of IQ to be doing that, but the quants <laughs> are always very impressive to me. Not, <laughs> right. They were the ones that we, we relied on at the prop firm to say, okay, what what's going on and help explain it to me in a way a simple guy like myself can understand. Yeah, the, the nerds inherit the world. I think that's what you say. And I shortchanged Bijou too because he's actually this co-founder and CEO of uh, Halo Investment. I said CIO for some reason, but um, he is indeed the CEO and co-founder, and I think we had a really nice conversation, so uh, I'll just sit back, strap it in, and uh, enjoy this Limit Up interview. We'll see you after the break, all right? Hey, everybody out there. We're joined today uh, by a guy that used to work in the same building as us, and he's still there now, though we're remote because that's the time. We're joined by the co-founder and CEO of Halo Investing, Bijou Kulathakal. Bijou, thank you for coming. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you. It's so, so great to be back on the uh, podcast. Yeah, I know it's not a visual medium here, but we're actually seeing each other on the screens. And I could see that um, Bijou's sitting in 
what looks like a replica of our office because we were in the same building with Top Step. And uh, it's hit me in the heart a little bit. I was going to say, just seeing the, the lofted ceiling there and those the lights, it reminds me of being back in the office. Yeah. So, uh, Biju, um, you said you're just going in there one day a week? Yeah, I go in one, one day a week. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think I'm actually more productive uh, in the office. But, uh, you know, uh, it's actually just ni- nice to come in. And it's actually, uh, you're actually in some ways more productive when there's nobody else in the office, too. So, you get a you get a double bonus. You, you guys know this building really well. It's a great great location. So it's just nice to uh, get into the city and experience that. Yeah, I yeah, did. absolutely. Definitely did it a few times. It felt a little post apocalyptic for me. So I've been uh, cording off in my second bedroom again. Uh, but anyway, Bijou, you've been on the show before um, back last year. But just for people that haven't, uh, perhaps listened to that interview, we thought we'd start by kind of going through your background and, uh, how you founded Halo Investing. And, uh, this is one of your many companies you've actually founded along the way. But, uh, why don't we start with aerospace engineering or even, you know, before how you got into aerospace engineering? Yeah, you know, um, uh, it's nice to literally be called a rocket scientist. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they always say in, in the options world, oh, it's good. trading options. It's is like rocket science. Well, it's not really, but I, you know, it's I, I like I, I like to uh, to get as much mileage out of my degree, uh, at least the name of my degree. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. So, aerospace is. I, I've always been very interested in in, in planes and spacecraft, and uh, you know. Uh, there's there's a lot happening in that field right now. So as a kid, I was always interested in that. So uh, I studied that. But, you know, in my last year of doing my aerospace engineering degree, I saw an ad uh, in, in my school uh, by a company. It was an options market-making firm saying, hey, they needed someone to be a quant. And I somehow convinced them that without any background in options and without any background in finance, that I could I could figure it out and they they took a chance on me and I figured it out pretty fast so um, that was sort of my first job and uh, and started basically I started my own company doing something in uh, in in the options world basically building some software for options market makers originally um, and and Halo is my fourth company at this point so uh, also along the way I had an uh, online options brokerage firm. Uh, traded options myself personally, uh, but then came to the conclusion, uh, you know, before starting Halo, that from a retail standpoint, you know, the the product that we traded Halo uh, was uh, was also a great product for retail investors to get exposure to optionality in the market. So, you know, we looked at the game as not just uh, or the goal as not just options, but optionality. You know, because at the end of the day. That's what people are interested in. There are a lot of benefits, retail benefits to optionality. And I'll get into Halo in a, in a minute, but I felt that Halo was a great way. And Structured Notes, which is what Halo Halo offers in its platform, is a great way for uh, retail investors to get access to it. Yeah, there's a lot of complicated math that falls into the um, option market from that optionality is what makes it you know, difficult to price, obviously, because if you could price it perfectly, you know, you'd be doing quite well. Um, and for those of you out there too, that maybe don't have the finance or econ background, I know that the prop shops and things like that are always, you know, they're looking less, frankly, for people with econ or finance degrees and more so people with, 
math, physics, aerospace engineering, uh, technology, technology. Of so I presume when you were doing aerospace stuff, that was heavily involved with computers. Yeah, computers, math. Yeah, absolutely. So it's basically, you know, everything. Everything was basically a computational problem. Problem, and basically going into finance, it just became a computational finance problem, right? That that you were solving. So. It was actually very good, although it had nothing to do with finance back then. It was really good training for what I do now and what I've done at different points in my career. So something that you've talking about being a quant, I think that's one of the most interesting things in the trading world this day. Um, obviously, you go back 25, 30 years ago, there was no, there weren't quants. It was just if you could be really loud and you can make a market in the pits, you had an opportunity and maybe if you could create an, create an edge, you had an opportunity. But for those listening, could you kind of explain what exactly a quant is doing? Because I think that's just this direction that all trading really is going, especially in that professional world. Absolutely. Trading is uh, a lot of trading. Uh, especially with the speed and the efficiency in trading, it's going from up, and it's it's not just going, but it's gone in in many in many ways from a point and click sort of world to something where you're building models and you're playing this massive online video game, right? That you're uh, and you're scripting parts of it. It's like you're scripting Minecraft, right? And and everyone's has a scripted version of Minecraft that they're playing with each other. And there are different ways to do that as a retail trader and different ways to do that as a big prop trading firm um, and, and different degrees along the way. So, so quants, uh, as a quant, uh, my, my, literally my first job with that engineering background was building pricing and trading models that would then be used by traders on the floor and ultimately traders uh, on the screens uh, to figure out what fair value and fair value of, of options were and also uh, where the risk of their uh, of their book was. Uh, and that, you know, that whole concept of determining fair value and determining risk has not really changed, you know, and that's that's the beauty of this. I think the underlying concepts are the same. They're just done with uh, they're just done with a lot more computing power nowadays. That's that's really the difference. Yeah, I- one of my first gigs on the floor was using those types of models to calculate risk and theoreticals in the 30-year bond option pit. So I'm I'm well accustomed to utilizing that stuff. And I, I we used an older proprietary software and the back end of it, the confusion of calling in the engineer when we were having issues with rolling months or bonds were rolling and the option was rolling together we were running all these issues and to experience and watch what you guys were doing on that backside to make it work is still goes right over my head. Yeah. So in, in, in making models, um, cause I think that's something that a lot of people are super interested in. Is there any, do, do you start out with opening theses or theses, I guess is the correct word, or is it a lot of uh, trial and error that gets to what sort of inputs you want to put into that? Yeah, so I, I think at the end of the day, right, with, with models, uh, it's really just about understanding and building a model and understanding what moves that model and from a first principles basis, right? So, you know, you just you understand certain first principles and that go into building a model, regardless of how complex the model is. Um, it's not really complex if you understand what those first principles are. That applies to anything in science, engineering, and sometimes in, in really very often business too. But in with, with quant models, 
you understand where first principles are and uh and and from there you 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 build these models and then the as far as as far as like what how to move your variables you just really understand okay you know um it's not even it's not even as much about predicting where the market's going a lot of trading especially on the market making side is really about uh lagging into risk lagging into the right opportune risk so you're not you're not predicting timing in the market just so that uh you what you're really doing is you're kind of you're uh, paddling out on your surfboard and just waiting for the wave to hit you just don't know when the wave's going to hit but building a model and understanding the variables is really just is just about lying on that surfboard waiting for that wave to hit uh to use that analogy so that's really all it is it's it's not more complicated than that that's that's a great one and and would you say because this is my limited understanding so the game has kind of gone uh, further from just a pure speed of execution to the speed at which you can process as much data as you can, as many variables as you can to make better decisions. Yeah, I think I think that I think speed of execution still plays a big role in in options trading. But yeah, absolutely processing the data, and actually at this point too. I think if you look at the world of options trading too, it's also about capturing retail order flow. Like if you look at a specialist, right? Like it's it's capturing retail order flow. And and I think uh, when I look at this from a macro standpoint, it's about having as many different participants in the market so that you have a more liquid market. I think what they, one of the key things we need to to work on is building just having more liquidity in the market. Uh, overall, um, because more liquidity means that there are more uh, there are more participants on both sides of the market, and then then there's more efficient risk transfer. At the end of the day, the whole point of the options market is transferring risk from somebody who wants it, uh, you know, from somebody who doesn't want it to somebody who wants it, and uh, that's that's a benefit for everybody. Nice. So. Um... We started to talk about Halo and structured notes. So as sort of a transition here, what sort of precipitated your move from options to structured notes? And then we'll go into what a structured note is, because I think a lot of people out there would be interested to kind of hear about that. Yeah, and maybe, you know, uh, maybe I will start off with what a structured note is so I can explain that that move uh, easier. So a structured note essentially... It's really something in a note or a bond format, but really gives you access to almost something like an option spread. It's like an, some sort of option spread that's embedded in a bond. Okay. And the, the, the thing about a, the note is you can sometimes get access to different forms of optionality, uh, and payoffs uh, and participation that you can't as easily do with listed options. And uh, one of the reasons I, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I know a lot about option trading. Option trading was very second nature to me, having been involved in it uh, for a big part of my life. And I thought, hey, it would be, uh, you know, it'd be cool if everybody in the world can understand options. Everybody in the world can understand optionality and everybody in the world can trade options, you know, because there are huge benefits to using options in your investment portfolio. The the realization I came to over time was that, you know, most of the world, you know, options are they they are complicated. They're not for everybody. Most of the world 
didn't really want to understand options, but most of the world, almost everybody in the world wanted the benefit of optionality. And, and for me, the analogy there is sort of like, you know, everybody wants to drive a car, everybody wants to own a car, but most people don't really want to understand how engines work, how transmissions work, how, you know, gearboxes work, and they don't want to understand the details of that. And so that's, that's the, the analogy I'll give, like, Basically, a structured node is like the complete car. Most people just want the car. They want to drive in it. They want to get from point A to point B. They don't care about what's inside the car. What's inside the structured node are usually like a big prop trading firm or a bank, which uses a bunch of options to hedge out the exposure, the risk that they give you on the structured node. And option traders are almost like our gearheads. You know, they, they love to understand what's inside the car. They love to understand what Greeks are. They love to understand how these Greeks affect every little portion of their portfolio. Uh, structured node users, really, they look at just the payoff. So an example of structured node, uh, structured node would be something that gives you the upside exposure to the S&P 500 with 20 or 30% protection on the downside. Um, and then then you're taking the downside exposure on the S&P. You know? So that's, that's one example. Some, and you have many different flavors of these nodes. So you have things that'll give you straight upside on the S&P, or they'll give you uh, the upside off the best off or the worst off the S&P and the Russell. So like correlated return. So a lot of little flavors there. But, you know, the great thing there is people can get access. You know, they, they love the optionality. They love having access to the, the upside of the S&P and the protection on the downside, which is really something that you create by putting option trades together. But they don't want to figure out you know, what option trades to put, how to manage your Greeks with it. They don't want to figure out how to put that thing together. So going back to my current analogy, right, they just really want the complete car. And, that, you know, that's truth is that's how the world is, right? Most people, 95% of the people just want the car and 5% want to know what's inside the car. 5% want to open the hood and see what's inside the car. And the the percentage who want to see what's inside the car, those are the option traders, Everybody else, they just want the car. Cool. So, like, what does it look like in practice to um, get involved or trade one of these structured notes? So, most of our clients are uh, investment advisors or brokers who buy it on behalf of their retail clients. So, so they have retail clients that uh, they want to give them exposure to the S and P or a basket of stocks or an ind- individual name. Uh, or individual uh, stock um, locally, internationally, sometimes with currency exposure, without currency exposure. The beauty of structured notes is you can do you can do all these things with a huge variety of uh, permutations and combinations. So they they go on our platform, pick what the the underlying the underlying slash underlyings are, uh, which basket they want to get exposed to, how much protection they want, and uh, and then. We bid it out with, you know, we're connected to 27 global investment banks. So we bid it out with all these banks. The banks compete and the advisor gets uh, something that's the best pricing. He picks which credit he wants, which bank's paper he wants to hold and uh, buys it and goes into his account. So that's that's effectively what we do for our clients. How is risk viewed differently when it comes to these structured notes versus options? Because it's definitely a different setup. And obviously, if someone's buying that whole car, they're not paying attention to, 
you know, what their delta is when we're talking about Greeks and things of that nature. So how's risk assessed? So the way uh, a lot of these advisors look at this is they look at it from the standpoint of, hey, what is the what is the dollar value of their portfolio and how much protection, like, you know, if the market were to go down 20 or 30 percent, they look at it more from the the protection that they, they put in a note like that and the protection of their overall portfolio. And also, hey, how does that affect different portfolio metrics? Uh, and portfolio metrics from an investment standpoint. So, uh, and what I mean there is they look at how, how does that affect their sharp ratio? How does that affect, you know, the probability that it'll actually breach that, that protection level? Those are the things the advisors really care about. Uh, because they're not people, advisor people, not people who want to put on an option trade, manage the risk and sort of, you know, trade or hedge that delta out or, you know, trade out of that gamma or vega on a on a daily or minute by minute basis because they have you know so i think options are great for somebody who has the time to spend uh, to understand the product but also spend the time to manage their manage that that account right because they got to spend they got to they got to look at it and they got to make adjustments on a day to day minute by minute basis and uh, advisors are looking at something a little bit more long term you know, and um, they're putting on this investment and they want the benefits of optionality, but they don't want to get into the options itself because they, they're putting on these trades, which are they care more about risk in their overall portfolio. That's a little bit more long term focused than the short term then and how that affects them the next minute or the next hour. Yeah, I, I think something we could bring back to some of our uh, retail traders here is that the concept, you know, you mentioned with the investment firms measuring things like sharp ratio. I think something like a sharp ratio is a good, um, it, it's a good risk sort of gauge for traders to use beyond just, I feel like sometimes people use very, like, not that sharp isn't rudimentary, but we tend to go like as low as possible with kind of like, what's my average day or stuff like that. Whereas even if you include something as easy as like the standard deviation of your days, you get a better idea of how effectively you're using your capital, which is really what you should be most concerned with uh, being a retail trader, not whether you're right or wrong every time, you know? Um, Dan, how did, how did you measure your risk? When it came to our options trading? Or I'd say like more now as a futures trader, do you do anything beyond just, because I, I know as an option, it's like you were looking at all sorts of stuff. Right. So nowadays when it just comes to my, my simple retail trading, it's a, it's a very simple viewpoint. I, I don't look at it on a daily. I don't look at really even on a weekly, you know, I'm looking quarterly where I stand on a quarter. So a bad week, a bad day, I'm not going to let that adjust myself. And, and I have growth metrics that I'm looking at and I'm just trying to stick within Again, those deviations, a couple percent either way, and to maintain growth. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, Viju, as long as we're on this, you know, risk and everything else topic, obviously, so you, you work mostly with a uh, larger corporate clientele. Um, do you still, are you still involved in any way with any trading of your own or uh, smaller retail stuff? You know, um, so uh, I don't do any trading of my own because I think sometimes that's uh, uh, it's distracting from you know my 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 main job. But uh, but uh, we 
our goal at Halo is to make this product more accessible to everybody. So today we work with, you know, RIAs and, and advisors, brokers who are buying it on behalf of their clients. But our goal has to has been to make this available directly to the end client too, because you know half of America wants to manage their own money, and the other half wants to go through an advisor. And we want to serve both, and we don't want to leave anyone unserved. So uh, we are actually planning to come out with a direct-to-retail platform for buying these structured notes where individual investors can go directly buy the note they want and the exposure they want. Oh, that's cool. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to see, like, you know, without giving anything away because it sounds like a great idea. Um, how, how would something like that sort of work in practice? Is it sort of like uh, an exchange or people sort of – or just a minimum amount or just general buckets of structured notes they can get involved with? So it would work. Uh, basically, what what they would do is they would pick. They can go and pick different node ideas or underlyings that they want to get exposure to, and uh, very similar in some in that ways, similar in workflow to what our advisors do. That is, they they pick the underlying. They pick. You know, we don't. We're not telling people which stock to buy or which index to buy or what to get exposure to. Our thesis has always been. Our thesis is a thesis about optionality and about protection. And and uh, what I mean by that is, you know, you have your views on the world, you have your views on the market, and you pick, uh, you pick the underlyings and uh, what you want to be exposed to. We will help you put protection around it. So, uh, and in a way, that's sort of how the name Halo came about. You know, it was like protection on your portfolio, Halo on your portfolio. That's that's how we we uh, we were thinking about it. So. You know, if you want exposure to the Russell or you want exposure to Tesla, our view is it's better to get exposure to all those products with protection of the downside. So we will give you, you know, you you price it out and we'll give you uh, uh, access to a note, which will give you access to that underlying with protection of the downside. How have things changed since, let's just go back to March, when the breaks really in February, March, since we broke and how have things changed for you guys and how have you been able to adjust? Yeah, so I think there are two things that, that uh, two main uh, driving forces that work for us uh, since March. So one is uh, products like this, products like structured notes. You know, we sell structured notes, buffered ETFs, and we're actually just launching annuities too. And these sort of products, uh, they're all essentially the same thing with different wrappers, you know, and and. These products have existed for a while, but they've always been sold very manually on the phone with people going and visiting the advisor. Um, you know, they call them external distributors, visiting the advisor in person, taking them out to steak dinners, you know, whatever, lunches, all this other stuff, right? And our our approach has always been we sell the product by making the uh, the the product, the features of the product, more transparent on an electronic platform, uh, and making it transparent, easy to price, easy to trade. And I um, guess what in March it was, come March it was hard to take people out to steak dinners or lunches, and you had to focus on the value of the platform. So basically, our approach of selling uh, got more validated since March. Uh, because you know everybody wanted a platform which could serve products like this. Um, the other the other thing that worked in our favor uh, since March was that uh, you know people wanted in in these sort of markets you know you know you know where the VIX was uh, the end of last year and where the VIX is right now and the VIX 
Bradwick was in March, right? Which is a, a ridiculous number, right? But mighty it, high, mighty high, right? So, and but in times like that, people realize, you know what? I want my exposure to the market with protection on the downside, with with that buffer, with that protection, right? They want, I want the optionality, uh, so I'm protected on the downside, but I have access to the upside because markets are an all time high, but also uncertainty is also at crazy high. So. You know, in the combination of the two, uh, and the other fact is the uh, the other fact which has worked in our favor is interest rates being so low. You know, I think there was. I mean, don't get me wrong; it was definitely a scary time in March too, just because you know the world was just going upside down, and you just didn't know where this um, where everything was going to land uh, back. But these two factors, which is basically March, helped. Uh, accelerate the adoption of technology, and I'm sure we all see that. You know, we all see uh, retailing, everything going online. So the adoption of technology was dramatically increased, and basically, the other factor being that uh, with this uncertainty, everybody was like, "Hey, I need, I need protection. I need the optionality which protected me on the downside." So the adoption of products like this just became more widespread. Yeah. Um, so the structured note industry in general. You mentioned how they would have, you know, say different percentages to the downside and stuff. Were they uh, able to track when the VIX exploded? Because it was interesting, you know, with some um, options firms that had been around for a long time in Chicago, we saw them uh, not be around any longer because some of the strategies they were in were not able to work when the VIX exploded like that. It just got into this loop where they had to keep on, you know, buying it up and buying it up. Um by and large, the structured notes, I take it, were able to track what they're doing or meant to do? Yeah. So a structured note uh, issuer, and those are the, the firms that issue these notes, uh, those are the firms we connect to, and these are these 27 large global banks. So the trading desks of these banks, which issue these structured notes, are, at the end of the day, no different than option market makers. So they have a book of risk. They, they sell these notes, and they're just selling, they're selling optionality, and they have to go buy optionality to hedge themselves out. You know, so so they had to manage that risk book, and for for some of them, for whom risk was properly aligned in a market like this, they did they did really well. The others for whom risk was not well aligned, there were there were a couple of firms, and this is this is in the news. Like you know, there were some of the French banks like uh, Societe Generale and BNP Paribas, and you know. And they're they're one of many, you know, who experience a lot of stress on their portfolios and experience uh, some downside losses in their portfolios, and it just all has to all has to do. Uh, they're all a function of how well you hedged yourself uh, in, uh, in in a market like this, you know. So so the, there was a lot of pain experienced by some of by some of the some of the sellers, uh, and there were some sellers who did really well, you know, in in a market like this too. Halo is a firm we just. We are just a marketplace between the buyers and the sellers, and we our goal is to make the product more transparent and easy to access for the buy side. And we do things with the sellers to make that easy, but we don't really take the risk on ourselves. Absolutely. So uh, as we bring this sort of like round circle here, um, you know, you've made your living in a lot of different ways in the markets. Uh, what sort of advice would you give for someone who's looking to get involved with the financial markets, and that can be a broad thing. That could be someone getting into uh, trading or, um, you know, 
banking. You deal with kind of all facets of it, including entrepreneurship. Absolutely. So I think the one thing I'd say about about trading is, you know, trading is a job. It's not a hobby. It's a, it's a job, right? It's a, it's a job. You have to you have to learn about it. You have to focus on it. Uh, I got to say, some and sometimes when I see what people are doing on places like Robinhood, it kind of troubles me because I think people think about trading like being on TikTok, you know, and it's not like being on TikTok. It's 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 a, it's a job. It's you have to really understand what you're getting into. Um, and it's not like, it's not like just going to a casino because it's, uh, uh, you have to, you do understand markets. You have to understand Greeks. You have to get into the, the, the details of things. So that's really, I mean, the, I think the simplest thing I can say is just take it seriously, right? Because learn all about it and take it seriously. And I think, uh, sometimes people see trading as just a way to make easy money. And, and it's not that it's, it's a job like anything else. You have to be good at it like anything else. Uh, and, uh, and I think it just says a lot of your users, I think the the best, and I'm sure you see that from your best customers, your best traders, you know, they take it seriously. They really study what they're, what they're getting into. And, uh, and I think that's what we're going to see. I think even whether markets go up or markets go down, the folks who really understand how to manage their risk, they're good risk managers, good traders, and understand the details of that always survive they're always they're always around they do well in up or down markets yeah i think that's been one of the most common themes i've seen with any traders with whether it's top step or at the prop firms i've been at it's the trader that's focused on that small little bit growing over time not here for that quick buck but this is a full-time career i think a lot of people get into this and they have that mentality of i've seen gordon gecko uh, you know in, in the movies I can be like that, and that's not really the case. I mean, it takes time to get to where you want to be, and accepting that this is this is hard. Yeah, I, I, I see. He bought a uh, airline firm, so I can trade, you know, the NQs and make a bunch of money. I, it, it, right. it is, it is, it, it's always changing. That's the biggest takeaway. I mean, as you see, as we talk about today with the structured note, the landscape's always changing. There's always new opportunities for different products, different points of view. Um, I think adaptability is just key. And uh, BJ, you've definitely shown that along the way. So uh, thanks. If um, if people want to find out more about Halo or you, is there a good place where they can find you? Absolutely. If they just go to haloinvesting.com, uh, you know, we have a we have a good website. There's a way to to get in touch with us. Our our website and our platform right now is for uh, is for advisors, brokers, or someone who manages money. But at some point, we will be coming up with the the direct to retail product. And if anybody wants to learn more about it, happy to happy to to explain. And they can they can reach out to us on the on the website. That'll be awesome. Yeah, we'll keep that, and we'll keep people updated. Uh, so, are you, are you going to keep the office there? Yeah, we're definitely going to keep the office. And actually, uh, interestingly, we're moving to the second floor. Uh, so right next to you guys. So we'll be, I mean, I know we're neighbors already. We'll be closer neighbors. So, <laughs> you know, so there'll be, there'll be more, uh, of a mind melt between us. So absolutely. Well, did you feel free to stop by for some, uh, checks mix sometime? I think that's what's, <laughs> that's what's hot in the, that's the hot commodity, hot commodity in the office. over there. Well, uh, Biju, thanks so much for, uh, stopping by today and talking to us a little. Um, welcome back anytime. We'll see you when we get back to the building. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. Take care. Thank you. And we'll talk to everyone else right after the break. 
Howdy, everybody. Thank you for making it to the end, and thanks to Biju for uh, coming down from the office to spend a little time with us on Zoom, or I guess Squadcast. <laughs> don't need to give them any undue business at Zoom, right? Right. They don't. They only have enough right now. Yeah. So, um, as we were talking about earlier, markets are volatile again. We had a couple cool things coming up. We're doing uh, Dan's about to run and do a webinar with us. Uh, with Hogue, uh, we're doing a little back to school special since it's September where um, you can go. We have four classes that are going on. Uh, we're doing the auction process today. There'll be some others on what else is he doing? I know technical patterns is the last one. Oh, yeah. Risk management and trade management. Uh, we deduce those are sort of the four kind of basic pillars that would be good to kind of brush up on as you uh, try and finish out 2020 strong because it's election time. I was going to say, we got elections. It's going to be a heck of a couple months ahead of us. I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed up for the, uh, the next two to three months right now. Uh, I'm excited. I think I'm going to get in there and uh, do a little more trading myself than I have in the past. I've been sort of, uh, sort of a long-term sitting on the sideline type person for a bit. But you know what? I've been inspired. Hey, I know a place... <laughs> That uh, to get started, <laughs> you can sign up for a relatively reasonable price and possibly earn a funded account. You know, I was, <laughs> was going to make a joke there <laughs> and say one of our competitors, but then I'm just like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> You're talking about Top Step Trader, yes. the sponsor of this podcast. Yeah, you know, maybe I will do that. I know a J- JD's dad is in a combine. <laughs> My dad tried one. Well, I was when I first started... Uh, when I first got to know Michael, I was still down on the floor with a bunch of guys. I was between the floor and the office, and Michael calls me. He's like, hey, you should try the trading combine. So a bunch of us got, you know, we're down on the floor, and we're all in a trading combine. And uh, it was a little different style of trading from what we're used to. And we we started trading. We're like, throw, you know, for us, it was like that. Ah, throw out a 20 or 30 lot in bonds and see if we can scalp 10 ticks. And... uh that wasn't quite the case when we got to the trading combine, so it was a little shocker. We all got beat up a little bit in the beginning until we realized, oh, wait a second, we're, we got to downsize it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, never hurt yourself too badly by downsizing. That'd exactly. be uh, some good advice around. Well, yeah, maybe I'll jump into that. Uh, maybe that's what I'll do this weekend, you know, shortened week. Uh, I guess I can't trade over the weekend, obviously, but... <laughs> You could start planning. If you were in TS Trader, you could use, uh, if you use TS Trader, you can use the replay mode and, uh, you can do a little back testing for the weekend. Oh, right on. Well, maybe I'll do that as I take it easy this weekend and drink some broth. There you go. So, uh, Dan, good talking to you and, uh, everyone out there, as we usually end it, namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.